Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Hey, so uh, what are we talking about today? So I was in the Bay Area recently. It's been a what? little while. You didn't call me. <laughs> I know. I was only there for an afternoon. Okay. Something personal. One of the things that I had forgotten about the Bay Area and that I don't miss in the slightest is the traffic on the 101. Have you experienced the delight that is rush hour Bay Area traffic? Oh, right. I just avoid the 101. And yes, I have experienced that it's not delightful at all. Oh, it's the worst. Um, but How- yeah, I the, the 101 is like a, a grown-up cow path or something. It, it's so windy and random and the lanes appear and disappear. It's just like it wasn't, it doesn't feel like it was built to be a freeway. I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's like particularly windy. It just doesn't move at all. But well, there are some things that are in place that try to make it move a little bit better. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. This is... Oh, whoa. We're talking about one-on-one traffic? Well, not ex- well, not literally, but almost literally. These, This is in the in the category of things you never knew there was science behind, but there's a lot we, of science behind them. I just realized we're still in our intro. So I will say you are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay. That was the longest intro yeah, we've ever done. That's, um, that's yeah. what happens when I'm in charge of intros. Yeah. We're talking about Traffic ramp metering systems. Traffic ramp metering. I, every time I go by one of those, I wonder what's driving it. Actually. Yeah, so we should, and we should explain what this is because these, uh, I have learned, I've read a lot about traffic ramp metering. And these are actually pretty regional specific and there are many places, even within the United States, that don't have these at all. So oh, we should really? first explain, oh yeah, uh, they have them in California. They have a lot of them in Illinois. But for right. example, I grew up in Ohio. I never saw any of them in Ohio. In fact, there aren't any in Ohio. So we should explain to all the Ohioans out there. I didn't know you grew up in Ohio. You didn't? No. Oh, yeah. I'm a very proud Buckeye. So what is, so what are, so traffic ramps, on ramps, you've got a freeway, you got to get onto the freeway. So you drive on the on ramp onto the freeway. Sometimes when you have particularly busy freeways, especially when there are rush out when there's rush hour traffic, like 101, for example, in California, uh, if you just let everybody on uh, whenever they want to go on, then you get these floods of cars. And then they almost like these the whole freeway. Yeah, yeah, like these these clumps of cars that all come in at the same time, and then the the traffic light that's that's further away from the freeway turns red and then no cars go on the freeway and then it turns green and then all the cars go on the freeway. So there are these uh, traffic metering systems. They're just stoplights and they're there to regulate the flow to, to basically to normalize the flow so that way you always have cars coming on at a, a consistent rate. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a, of a paradox, but it's well borne out both by theory and by empirical study that if you control the rate at which people access the highways, then overall, this makes the highway less prone to congestion, even though it takes a little bit longer for each individual car to get on the highway because there's a a light there that they need to wait for. Mm -hmm. The highway as a whole functions much better and you get where you're going much faster. I've got to say, because I'm a huge traffic patterns geek, I also have to say that um, I I don't think we have an audience big enough to actually make a real impact. But I have to say that if you cut people off on the road, that will... Uh, slow down traffic in general because you you end up with ripples that go back from where you cut people off Uh, and in fact if you don't merge nicely like if you wait until the the last minute and then kind of like push your way in that also causes issues so if you are uh, one of those people who waits till the last minute and just kind of like crams your way in there it's gonna it's gonna slow everyone down so 
now I've said my piece. I've, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is the topic of a lot of study, uh, and it seems to be done by both academic institutions, but there's also places like department, various state department of transportations, departments of transportation, things like that that study these and that have a number of different algorithms that are being used in different places. And one of the things that's really fun about reading the summary literature on this is that they tell you about all the different algorithms and where you could actually find them implemented. So like, oh, oh swarm really? happens outside of Seattle. And then there's this other algorithm called the helper ramp algorithm. I'm, you, I'm probably missing some of these up, but they're like, oh, that one's outside of, that's in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. You, you have occupied so much of my free time just now. I didn't realize that these algorithms were discoverable. Oh, yeah. Which I, I guess I should have done more Googling and less thinking on the road, but that's... Well, it's okay. I didn't even know there were, like, algorithm algorithms until somebody mentioned it at the lunch table a couple months ago, and I got very... Oh, nice. Uh, I want to sit at your lunch table. Oh, yeah. My lunch table's pretty... There's There's a lot going on there. We learned about traffic metering systems. So mm-hmm. there are many of these algorithms. And as you can imagine, I think there's a lot of maybe customizing the algorithm to the exact highway that you're on. So something like the 101, where you have a straight shot highway that's basically going between San Francisco and San Jose. And you have lots of ons and you have lots of offs. And there are a couple big roads that might intersect it. A couple places. I'm thinking about things like the 84 for anyone who's uh, 85. Oh, 85. Thank you. Uh-huh. Who's familiar with the... Oh, wait, no. 85 and 84. No, 84 is, is the bridge. Yeah. That's yeah. whatever. 85 kind of feeds into it. Yeah. And then you have like the 380. So you have some of these big crossroads, but for the most part, it's a straight shot. That that might be a very different algorithm that you might want to have for a system like that than if you live in Los Angeles, which I have only had to navigate the roads of once or twice, but I remember it was a labyrinth of just checker pattern it felt like sometimes where you couldn't go more than four miles on a major interstate without hitting another major interstate that was going in a completely different direction so yeah that'll that'll lend itself to totally different traffic traffic patterns yeah so there's all these different algorithms that are being applied in different places and it's really fun to read about these and in general they fall into a couple big categories just to give you an idea of what's going on out there So first is that there's what's called isolated algorithms. So this is where you have each meter is kind of ignoring what's going on with any other meter. So usually you have many different on-ramps that are being metered all within the same general vicinity because you're trying to control many points of access potentially at the same time. In isolated systems, what's going on on one on-ramp is basically completely independent of what's going on in another on-ramp. Except yeah, so far as there's there's this this highway in between that might be sort of connecting them in a way, but right. for example, you don't have a situation where an upstream light is trying to say hold back some of the cars so that say a right. big queue on the downstream ramp can dissipate. Right, they're not talking to each other. Exactly. Um, but there is one huge benefit of having isolated systems, uh, which is that they're cheap. <laughs> so. That's you true. can just build a bunch of these things and you don't have to worry about uh, finding a way for them to talk to each other or maintaining that system. Yeah, and we're thinking a little bit about geographical isolation, but there's also some of these systems that are sort of temporally set and then set it and forget it, I guess. So they right, might so just... they let a car in every eight seconds or whatever and that during these hours and that's it. 
Exactly. And so regardless of what's going on on the road, like whether there's construction going on or there's an accident going on or whatever, they just do the same thing. Um, you know, that drives me nuts on like Memorial Day or something where the, the light doesn't know that it's a holiday and nobody's on the roads. And so I still have to wait for it. Yeah. So so there's those algorithms. And then there's the ones that are more dynamically responsive to what the actual conditions on the road are. And they make sort of on the fly decision, either in an isolated way or in collaboration with the other lights in the network to try to decide, you know, what's the appropriate rate at which I should be metering people onto this highway. Mm -hmm. And so then you have your, your isolated systems. We talked about those. And then there's also the coordinated system. So this is where the different ramps are sort of talking to each other, so to speak. And these fall under a few big categories. There's cooperative algorithms, which is where all of the ramps are trying to distribute load amongst themselves. If there's, say, a big backup at one of the ramps, then maybe one of the other ramps will hold back a little ways so that that backup has a chance to sort of work its way out. Oh, they Um, sound so friendly to each other. Yeah. And then there's competitive, which is where there's... There's, so there's, there's always kind of an inherent tension in these systems, just to back up for a second, which is that you have the local traffic. You don't want to have the light always be red because then you're going to have these local backups on all the surface streets because mm-hmm. no one's getting onto the highway. And you don't want to have the light be always green because then what's the point of having the light? So there's always kind of this tension between letting lots of cars onto the highway and holding them back because somewhere, you know, the the system has to deal with the fact that there's lots of cars that want to get through it. And it's just like, how do you deal with the local versus the the highway congestion? You know, who has to bear the weight of that congestion, I guess, is what I'm saying. The surface streets or the or the highway. Right. And so the competitive algorithms are a little bit based on the idea of um, balancing between those two systems that there might be pressure from the surface streets, that there's a big queue that says, let cars on, let cars on, let cars on. But there might also be sort of a backup on the highway, which says, don't give me any more, don't give me any more. And then the competitive algorithms have to sort of compete these two scenarios against each other and then pick the one that, in general, what they pick is the one that's more restrictive at any given ramp. Uh, And so this includes the compass algorithm, the bottleneck algorithm, and swarm, which is an awesome name for an algorithm. Uh huh. You can read about all of these because they each have specific different ways that they will distribute the load amongst the various ramps or the ways that they make their decisions or whatever. And then the third one is called uh, integral algorithms. Integral ramp algorithms have something that reminds me a little bit of maybe something like reinforcement learning, if people are familiar with that. So you have this objective function, and it'll be something like how, how many cars are being allowed to move through a certain area at a certain time. Or how quickly does it take to get from a certain reference point to another reference point? And you say that we want there to be a maximal reasonably, within some reasonable bounds, this is the maximum number of cars that we think should be going through, or this is the the fastest speed at which we think realistically cars should be going through. And then it's going to try to find parameters for all the different ramps that will optimize that objective function. So sometimes it might have the ramps turning on, sometimes it has them turning off, but it's not thinking about it in terms of how long am I waiting in line for the light to change versus how fast am I moving once I get on the highway. It's thinking about from the time I, say, leave the parking lot 
of my job to the time I get home, you know, adding up all of the different places where I would have to wait together and then trying to come up with something that optimizes for all of it at the same time. That's a little bit of the, the philosophy behind the integral ramp metering algorithms. And so you can see these are each very different ways of thinking about the problem, which is one of the things mm -hmm. that I think makes this so cool is that there's, yeah. there's all these different ways that people have found to solve this problem and they are being used in all of these different systems. And you can go through and you can read about what they're doing in Seattle and what they're doing in, in San Jose and, and San Francisco and what are they doing in, uh, in Washington or in Chicago. Um, and it's different for every one of them. And, and so that's, that's something that I think was really, really fun about this is that there's lots of different sophisticated sophisticated people who are thinking about this. There's sophisticated programs that they use to do the simulations to try to make sure that the algorithms actually work, that they're not creating huge problems, um, but that there's still many different answers that people manage to come up with. Um, I have a couple thoughts, which are one, in a way, a traffic engineer, if they're doing their job perfectly, are never noticed, right? There are a lot of jobs like that, like a, a sound engineer at a live concert. If they do their job well, they're never noticed and no one says thank you. So if you're listening and you're a traffic engineer, huge thanks to you and all of the fairly selfless feeling work that you do to save everyone minutes and, and optimize people's day, And I, I guess in a way. The second thing I wanted to say is when you mentioned uh, I-380, I, I was like, I don't know that road maybe Katie got confused and I, I searched Wikipedia and found it and I, I was just being stupid. I forgot about it. But it turns out Wikipedia has a ton of really interesting informations, uh, information about all of these different highways. It never occurred to me to read the Wikipedia articles for the roads that I travel on. But um, That's never but occurred yeah. to me either, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole tonight. Yeah, apparently 380 was going to go all the way to the coast to Highway 1, but it, that would go over the San Andreas Fault. And so they didn't tackle that project. Oh, that's... Uh, I can see why that might be a good idea to not have a major highway going over the San Andreas Fault. I'm so glad I don't build bridges for a, a living. Like, just think about the... Like, you better do your job right, right? <laughs> and then the, um, the other thing that I wanted to just share is uh, if you have, I, I guess, especially if you have kids, one fun thing to do is to pay attention to the traffic patterns at stoplights. And you can usually figure out, like if you're at a left-hand turn lane, you can usually figure out by looking at the other lights when your light is going to change. And so if you're if you're with a kid or if you're with someone who doesn't, who hasn't figured that out, right before the light's about to change, just look at it and then whew, blow. And then the light changes <laughs> and they'll think you're a wizard <laughs> and be like, oh my God, dad is magical. When I lived in Switzerland, one of the things they do in Switzerland, and I thought this was so brilliant. I don't know why we don't do this is so in the United States, it's green for a while and then it'll be yellow for a few seconds and then red and then it turns green again. Right. But in Switzerland and in France too, I think it A will, lot of Europe, it turns yellow, right? It, yeah. It turns yellow between red and green. And so you always have like a couple seconds warning that it's about to turn green, which is kind of nice because everyone in Europe drives stick shift. They don't drive automatic cars. So you really mm. want to have a couple seconds to get your car in gear. And then when it actually turns green, then that's when your car starts moving. But it took you a little while to get it there anyway. And I always thought that was so clever. Just in general, traveling in Europe, the, the infrastructure for 
trains, buses, bicycles, uh, especially like I'm thinking of Amsterdam. It's just phenomenal. It's really cool. Are you just talking about traffic circles? Is that really what you mean when you say phenomenal? Oh, no, it's not just traffic (laughs) circles. They have six different uh, modalities of transporting yourself in Amsterdam. And um, it's just amazing how smoothly everything runs. You know, like, and how well signed, at least in my experience uh, as a foreigner, how well signed everything is and how it's, it's surprisingly easy to not die, despite how it looks like you would just die if you tried to, you know, ride a bike on those roads or something. So, and fun fact, the Netherlands has the same algorithm that they run in Seattle. So if you happen to live in Seattle, you're getting a little taste of Dutch (laughs) traffic control. It's called fuzzy logic algorithm. You should read about it. Oh, yep. Uh huh. Fantastic. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lin Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.